and then cool, and then cold, and then hot, and yeah, yeah, Jimmy said, if you don't like it, wait five minutes, so anyway, we, uh, we just want to welcome you this morning, this is a leadership basic training, uh, this is really a beginning to uh, a series of education on leadership that we will be doing quarterly. I will say you are at the right one to start out with because this is going to give you the framework for everything else that we do. This is called basic training for a reason, and you will very much enjoy this. As a matter of fact, I was just getting ready for this, and, and I've been in this material solid for about three days straight, and uh, I've just, I was just getting more and more excited the further we went along, and uh, just really excited to share it with you. Uh, very excited just to um, just to have it, you know, and have it available to you. And we have been employing some of these principles uh, for a little bit over a year and a half now. We really started almost a couple of years ago once we started really getting into some leadership. Uh, I had a pastor say this to me recently. Uh, I was talking to him, and he said, "Brother," he said, "I, you know, was kind of raised up, and this is what I thought." If God had called me, and I was anointed, and I preached the word, that they would come. You know, if I knew that I was called, and I was anointed, and preached the word, they would come. He said, now I've been in ministry for about eight years now, and uh, at the church that I'm at, he said, and I think he's been ministering for close to 20 uh, beyond that, but he said, and I found out that I was missing something because they weren't just filling up the pews. They weren't just getting uh, filled up with the goodness of God. He said, I learned that I also needed to bring leadership to the table. And so in the kingdom of God, we need this. It's not just, you know, I've, there's a common theory uh, that says, and this is based off of a scripture, but it's taken a little bit out of context. Uh, Jesus said, uh, if I be raised up, I will draw men to me. And so we've thought that we could come in the doors and just talk about Jesus and everybody would just flock to us because he would draw men to us because we were raising up Jesus. But it takes more than that. It takes not burying our talents and it takes leading people. In other words, everybody that you saw that was successful in the word, they led people somewhere. In other words, they were a leader. If they weren't a leader, they didn't stay in that position for very long and they didn't get very much accomplished. They need to have the anointed. They need to have God on their side. They need to preach the word, but they also needed to grow in their ability to lead and lead people, not just sit back. Amen? Amen. So now what's great about this leadership is there, there's a couple of things I want to tell you. First of all, this can apply to any organization. Okay, This does not just fit the church, but it just so happens that all of your major leadership principles, the ones that actually work, you'll find that in some way, some, some shape, form, or fashion, they actually come back to leadership principles that were in the Bible. You'll find that they are actually going to work because they're empowered because God put them into, into play. 
And so even people that don't believe in God, but they're using uh, leadership principles, almost always you'll find it where a scripture is actually what inspired that somewhere way back then. And so we're going to talk about the word. We know this. We're going to talk about the word. We're going to move into a lot of detail. I'm going to try to go into it pretty quickly. And uh, one thing I want you to know is you can take this information and it's meant to be customized. In other words, everything I say is not going to fit you perfectly. But as you go along, you find that one thing works a little bit better, then make that adjustment. You find that you need to add something, make that adjustment. But you're going to get the framework today for becoming a leader and learning how to lead people. So let's just open up in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that today we have the ability to grow in you. We praise you and we thank you, Father. Lord, we don't take your things for granted. We don't take the things that you've given us for granted. We don't take the sacrifice of Christ for granted. And Lord, we just praise you and we love you for everything. Lord, we esteem today because we're not just growing in logical steps. We're growing in you because we're applying the word to our lives. We're applying your word, your life into our life so that our life can overflow into this world and into the lives of others. And Father, we just praise you and thank you for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to be better people. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, some of you have a, some handouts, and we're going to make sure each one of you has that. Let's go ahead and put up the first slide, which you see there, Leadership Basic Training, and let's go to slide number two. The first thing that we want to look at is, why grow in leadership? Okay, Brian, you're here, you're teaching leadership, but why do we need to grow in leadership? Why? What is it that we need to learn? What is it that we need to see? Do we even really need to be here, or won't God just, you know, make it happen? We, are, we agree with him, We're, we want to be obedient with him. Won't God just make this happen for us if we just are on his team? Uh, no, that's the answer. No, he won't. He is looking for people to partner with him, and that means, have you ever heard this scripture, faith without works is dead. In other words, if I really believe that I'm on God's team, then my actions are going to show that I am. If I believe that God has given me this huge, great potential in Christ, then my actions are going to back that up. And I want to look at this. Here's some reasons, just personally, why do we need and want to grow in leadership? Because if you don't grow in leadership, you are not growing to the fullness of the potential that God has for you. So number one, and this is just for you, to personally grow and be successful in whatever you're doing in life. Without leadership, you're not going to reach the heights that God has made available to you. Number two, to fulfill our purpose and our destiny. I don't know about you, but when I get up to heaven, I want well done, good and faithful servant. And that means that I've got to advance what God has given me. And the same thing goes for you. Number three, I w we want to increase in efficiency and productivity. 
We want to increase. In other words, have you ever uh, sat around doing something and it took you, you know, like all week long and you just wished, I wish that wouldn't have taken so long. Well, leadership helps us do that. Leadership helps us become efficient and productive. In other words, if we're more efficient, we're going to be more productive as well. But we've got to grow. We've got to give ourselves to that. <clears throat> Number four, we, need to, we want to bring success to our organization. You know, we need to start thinking outside of ourselves. You know, why am I here? If it was just for you, and, and I'm, I'm talking to all believers today, if, if it was just for you, and it was everything that Christ did was just for you alone, wouldn't you already be up in heaven right now? Because isn't that the best place? But you're here for a reason. There's a plan, and that plan is to bring the light and the life of God to everybody that's around you. You have opportunity. You have potential for, to help add people to the family of God. Well, praise God. And so we need to start getting our eyes off of just our job, what we're doing, and we need to start looking at, what else can I help? Can I help my work? Can I help my church? What can I help? Amen? And number five there, to help others meet their purpose and destiny. Again, getting our eyes outside. You know, one of the most satisfying things, I, I, I had a meeting yesterday, and I got to see how God was moving in somebody's life. And, and watching that reality of God spring up in them, watching the things of the Lord start to grow in them, knowing where God, His love's going to take them. And I was just sitting there just beaming and just so happy and so pleased with what I know is in this person's future as they just go after God. One of the greatest joys that we can have is when we grow in leadership to the place where we're helping others fulfill their destiny that God has. Fulfill the plan of God on their lives. Fulfill, fulfill the destiny that they have and fulfilling their purpose. This is a reason to grow in leadership. Let's go to the next slide. Continue. Why grow in leadership? In Matthew 25, verse 14 through uh, 30, we have the parable of the talents. And most of y'all should know what happens. Everybody gets some talents. Some gets a lot. Some gets a little. The one who gets a lot, he, he works those talents and he turns it from five to ten. The other person turns it from two to four. And the other person took their talent. Uh, and I, don't, I think it's so awesome that it's called talents uh, because it's talents and abilities as well as money. And, it's, and he took his one and buried it. In other words, the point here is why grow in leadership? Because burying our potential does not please God. It doesn't please God. And so many times, listen, you have the potential to become something. Li listen to this very clearly. You have the potential right now to become something that you can't even see right now. You understand that? You cannot conceive of the goodness that God has for you because it's so far. He said that I'm able to do in your life beyond what you can ask or think 
And so for us not to start stepping towards those things, even though we can't comprehend that, is burying our talents. All of you have the potential to grow in leadership. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you've never even thought about leadership before today. Today, you have the potential to start leading people and start helping people and start helping yourself and your church and and the uh, workplace that you're in. We cannot bury our talents. If you look also in Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 52, why grow in leadership? This is a great verse, and Jesus said this, or, or the word said this, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So he kept, now, is Jesus our example? Yeah, absolutely. In, in how many areas? All of them. So he's our example in every area, and and here he is. He continued. He kept on. You know, we like to think that he just kept growing, and and I know when I was little I read that verse, and it said he grew in stature, and I was thinking, well, he grew up. He got to be a big man. And then I'm thinking, well, as soon as he became an adult, well, it just kind of stopped right there. That is not the context of that verse. The context of that verse is, as our example, showing us what to do, he continued to go forward. He continued to increase, not just in uh, becoming tall, he increased in wisdom. Stature means maturity. He increased in maturity. In other words, he continued to mature in everything that he did. He continued to mature, and he increased in favor with God and men. See, not only should we believe that we will continue to increase, but we should believe that God's going to be blessing us as we go forward. Lord, as I put into action what you have for me, you're going to be working with me, increasing, multiplying, giving that increase, and I'm going to keep growing just like Jesus did in wisdom and maturity and in favor with God and with men. So as Christians, we ought to be believing for this. In other words, what I'm telling you right here is why grow in leadership? You should be believing right now that God is giving to you leadership and growing you in leadership simply as you start making decisions that you want to be a leader and you're giving yourself to the will of God in that. Amen? All right. Listen to this statement because it is huge. Everything, everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything. This is a statement you need to learn. You need to remember. Hey, if it falls down and it doesn't do good and you're in leadership, it rose or fell on you. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So if our potential in Christ is to grow then we need to start saying, look, it's my responsibility to partner with the empowerment that God's given me so that I can grow so that the whole level of things that are happening rises because my leadership is rising. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, let's turn to the next slide, and if you have, uh, if you have your uh, handouts in front of you there, I believe on the first page at the bottom right, you'll see this scale. And I want you to jump on this before you uh, go any further. Where 
Would you rate right now your leadership ability on a scale of 0 to 10? And go ahead and mark it. Put it down. Where would you rate it? Is it a 7, 8, 9, 3, 4, 10? Where would you rate it? So take a moment and go ahead and, and just rate that. So right now, just thinking, everybody got it down? Anybody still thinking? All right, good. All right, let's turn to slide number five. Here's some statements that I want you to get inside of you. These are going to come back up to you, and this is the basis for leadership. You need to understand these things. You need to know them. You need to say them over and over and over again. You need to think this way. Number one, you can't do everything, but you can lead many things. Has anybody ever been trying to do something and all of a sudden you just hit your limit? You were, at, you were maxed out. I can't do anything else. Yep. Well, guess what? What's that falling back on? Everything rises and falls on leadership. The problem was you were probably trying to do everything and you probably weren't leading very many things. All right. In an organization, this is incredibly clear. You have to get to the place where you understand I can't do everything. It's not possible. Here in the church, there's no way. I mean, I'm just looking around this morning, and this really wasn't a very complicated uh, presentation to put on, but I'm just looking around, and, and I could not have gotten the whiteboard in here this week and all the tables set up by myself and notepads in front of you and a pen on your table and all the handouts printed and stapled and given to you and and the waters over there and the coffee and the donuts and and I can't you know talk up here and go run and and operate the camera and I can't you know I can't turn my mic up and down I can't do it all it's not possible and that's just a few of the things that happened on a fairly simple day. But it's not possible. You can't do everything, but you can lead many things. And so what we want to start doing is learning how to... It doesn't mean that you're going to stop doing everything. It means that you're going to start learning how to lead more than you do. And this is a very important concept. I know that sounds simple, but it's a, eventually what will happen is you'll go, Oh my gosh, you'll, you'll do something on Tuesday or Wednesday and you'll go, oh my gosh, I'm doing this. I'm not leading anything. All right, here's another one. Our job, and, and I'll say particularly in the church, our job is to make God's people more valuable for Him and for themselves. And no matter what organization you're in, our job is to make people more valuable, to add value to their lives. We must add value to their lives. We must be about adding value to everything that we do. This is leadership. In other words, if I've got a team here, but I'm never adding value, how much growth potential do we have? Not too much. 
I've got to add value because when I add value to them, they can then do and lead more themselves and now our potential for growth rises. Our job in leadership is to make people more valuable. Now listen to this statement. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Just because you can do it alone doesn't mean you're supposed to do it alone. <laughs> Just because you can doesn't mean you're supposed to. Listen, d listen to these statements. Don't do it alone. Don't do it for them. And don't fix it for them. <laughs> I want you to think about that. And if you've led any type of organization uh, at all, at some point when you hear that statement, you're going to be like, oh my gracious, don't fix it for them. But you know why? Because that's going to mean there's a whole bunch of little messes all over the place. And if you're just starting leadership, it's probably going to be all at once. <laughs> but guess what? As you don't fix it for them, guess what happens? They start learning how to do it themselves. And what did they just grow in? They just grew in leadership in their own lives. We just added value to allow them to grow in that area. This is a big key. Don't do it alone. Don't do it for them. And don't fix it for them. It's like this morning, I'm still breaking some of these habits myself. I don't know all of this stuff, you know, and got it down pat in every area of my life. I'm growing just like you. Same thing when I'm preaching the Word. But this morning, I got up and I was thinking... And I went, man, it's 23 degrees outside. When I saw the, I, I went, oh, did we turn the heat on? And then I thought, don't do it alone. Don't do it for them. And don't fix it for them. And if it's cold, somebody will learn something. Amen? Aren't y'all glad that we've already been growing in leadership so it wasn't freezing when y'all walked in? So here's the other thing. Don't do your best. Do what it takes. Now, in leadership, I want, because we can a lot of times take that statement and go, oh, I, the, the heat's not on. I've got to go get up early and go do that. I've got to do whatever it takes to make sure that it's presented well this morning. Well, that's one way to look at things. That, that's one way to look at things, but it's not everything. You've got to make sure that if I'm going to not just do my best, but I'm going to do whatever it takes, then, then when if I'm going to do whatever it takes, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help people grow. I'm going to add value. That's more valuable than me being everywhere trying to do everything. Does that make sense? Don't do it alone. Don't do it for them. Don't fix it for them. In doing all of this, we're training. Uh, in the church, we would say this. We're discipling. This is what leadership is all about. And you'll find as you grow in leadership, it is the best way to disciple. Because when you don't do it alone, that means you've got to have other people. That means other people are engaged besides you. It's not just you and your life that you're looking to police. Now you're looking to lead people. Well, guess what? That opens up opportunities for messes. When you don't do it for them, they're going to spill the mop bucket and you're going to have a big mess to mop up at some point. And you don't fix it for them. Now they've got to clean it up. But here's what happens. Over a period of time, they grow. They start learning how to not turn over their mop bucket. 
All of a sudden, now, where it was a big mess when you started out in leadership, those little messes start to clean up themselves because you've got leaders that are growing, that are having value added to them, and then where do the messes go? And you become more excellent in your service to the Lord or more excellent in your service to the Lord in your workplace, in whatever organization that you have. It's very important for us to realize just because I can do it doesn't mean I should do it. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Just because I'm strong enough to do it doesn't mean that I should. You've got to get that. If you're going to lead, you've got to understand that. When we allow people to grow, it will cost us some time and create messes, but in the end, there will be fewer messes and we'll be able to do more. It's a lot easier to clean up a lot of little messes, listen to this, than one leader imploding because they're trying to do it alone. We see it all the time. People, and you know what the church has taught, you know, since we're talking mostly about church business, the church has taught, man, yeah, that pastor, he needs to mow the yard. He needs to, he needs to uh, call everybody. Everybody that's in the hospital, he needs to go see them. He, need, he needs to make sure that he's making evangelistic calls, winning people to Jesus, healing them, saving them, fixing dinner when they're sick and when the family dies. I mean, he needs to do everything, and we ain't going to pay him nothing. That, that, I mean, that literally has been part of the attitude of the church. And, and it's completely wrong because the whole point of the church is to raise and build up the body of Christ so that they can be about the work of the ministry, the work of service. That's, that's Bible. That, in other words, we're raising and discipling and we're letting other people grow into the leaders, but we've got to back off and if they mess up, let them mess up. You know, let, them, let them wreck the bike when they're trying to learn it for a little bit. You're there. If they mess up too bad, you'll catch them. You'll catch them before they mess up too bad. Trust the Lord to help you in wisdom. But don't do it alone. Don't do it for them and don't fix it. And listen to this. This is a major statement in leadership. Growth without change is impossible. You cannot have growth without having change. This is going to be a major key to today. That statement right there is huge. Growth without change is impossible. Make sure that you get this down pat. Growth without change is impossible. Here's another one. Uh, we won't talk about it a ton today, but it's very important. Repetition is the motor of learning. Okay? Growth without change is impossible, and repetition is the motor of learning. All right. Now we finally get into uh, some good, cool graphics. All right, let's go to the next slide. <laughs> we're done with the list. If we're going to lead and we're going to grow, change is a necessity. It's an absolute necessity. If you look at that slide right there, you can see on today, this is where we're at. But this is not where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to move to our destiny. But you don't just go to your destiny because one day you say, ooh, I'm going to fulfill my destiny and then do nothing else about it. You'll see right here that each step, each step, you have to grow. You have to change. I have to, 
Each step is a new level for me, but to hit new levels, I've got to move up. That means I've got to change. That means I've got to have growth. Without growth, I'm not changing. I'm not going to reach the destiny without changing. You've got to change. Growth without change is impossible. And then here's the thing. You'll find that there's three types of people. Number one is people that resist change. If they resist change, let me ask you this question. Just looking at what we just figured out, if they are resistant to change, are they, are they going to hit their destiny? Nope, it's impossible. And you know what? Uh, pretty much, growth and change and resisting change sounds like this. I sure am comfortable today. I don't feel like doing anything else. That, that's what resistance to change sounds like. I don't want to get up and go to church this morning and learn about leadership. That's what resistance to change. See, you're here, so you're not in that category. Amen? You've grown. You're at the next level. Praise God. Congratulations. Look at you. I'm so happy to know you. All right. Number two, three types of people. One, resist change. Two, there's those that tolerate change. I would say that the majority of people are in those first two categories easily. All right, change is happening. I don't like it, but I'll tolerate it. Now, is that person the one that tolerates change? Are they going to reach their destiny? No. No. Because change is coming too slow. They're not giving themselves to the talent and ability that God's placed in their arms. And then you've got the person number three. And this is what we should all aspire to get to. And I understand that maybe you didn't start out this way. Maybe you weren't, maybe you weren't built for this. You know, this way is what the world would tell you. But I can tell you that in Christ you were built for this. That you embrace change. You embrace it. So you've got three people. Ones that resist change. One that tolerate change. And then people that will embrace it. The ones that embrace it, you will find them. They are jumping through this, uh, through this from today to their destiny. Let's go on to the next slide. They are jumping through their destiny because they are willing to change. You know, you can have everything going right at your organization or at your church, and you're like, man, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But what you can do is you can get to one of these levels and completely stagnate. And all of a sudden, you're stuck there because you've completely lost momentum. Because you didn't embrace change. You've got to understand that change is imperative. It's an absolute necessity in order for us to reach our destiny. For, let me say it this way, because we're all believers here. It's an absolute necessity for you to reach well done, good and faithful servant. It's a necessity. All right? And at every level, you know, here's one of the things that we do. A lot of times we're walking through life and we hit this level and we just climb up to that next level right there or the next level and we're like, yeah, whoa, we're there. Look, new level. Ha, ha, hallelujah. We're like, well, it's awesome. And then all of a sudden, we just enjoy hanging out there too much and we don't face the next change. Guess what happens? Stagnate. We've got to be able to say, hey, I know I just got here, but I'm looking forward to the next thing. 
And the people that can do that, they can run with God because they're willing. They're, they're saying, look, I know I just reached a new place and this is great. Praise God, but I know there's more in front of me. It goes beyond all that I can ask or think. If, my, if I can imagine it, it's beyond that and I, and I need to get on with it. I need to get on with it. We go back to the first slide for one of the first ones. Why do we need to grow in leadership? I need to get back to it so that I can have a better life. My organization or my church can do better and be more efficient. The people around me, I can help them reach their destiny. I can help them fulfill their purpose. I can do this because God wants me to grow and not stagnate. Amen? He doesn't want me to bury those talents. So, let's look at the next slide. Here's one of the things. If, if growth without change is impossible and change is an absolute necessity, this is something that you need to get down pat inside of you. You must, in order to change, you must face reality. One of the biggest problems I see as a pastor and a shepherd is when people come up to a place and they don't face the reality of who they really are and where they really are, uh, the the word puts it like this, judge yourself so that you're not judged. And so they're not bringing an unbiased judgment to their own lives. They're not facing reality. And because they're not facing reality, they do not change. They stagnate and all of a sudden the devil has grabbed a hold of their life and is shaking them with everything they got. I've seen it time and time and time again. Because people will not take an honest look at themselves. They won't face reality. And in leadership, we must face the reality that's in front of us. Hey, did we do that well? Did we do it not well? I, need to, I don't need to hear, you know, we don't want just yes men. On our leadership team, it's called an ELT. We'll talk about it more later on our ELT. If they come in, they're like, oh, yeah, good job, Pastor, good job. And they're all like, good job, Pastor. I'm like, time out, stop this mess because we're not facing reality. What went wrong? And they and we do it really well. They'll they'll you know they'll be like, hey, hey, pastor, you messed up. No, they uh, you you need to get some stuff straight. But sometimes that's good. That's good. A, a good friend of mine, uh, actually the the man that has taught me a lot of this is Pastor J B Whitfield. He was saying he went into the meeting and he said they had noticed that salvations had gone down in their services. They have two services each morning. And uh, he went, I want to know why our salvations have gone down. And he went into his ELT. And, uh, and one of the people said, well, pastor, um, I think I know what it is. He said, well, tell it. I want to know why these salvations are going down. Something's got to change. He said, well, pastor, he said, uh, I think the reason why salvations are going down is uh, you're preaching too long and you're not giving enough time for salvation at the end because we're trying to switch out these two services. Everything's bunched up and everything's, everything's uh, rushed. And so people are not having the opportunity to give their life. And he said, everybody in the ELT, everybody on the leadership team went. And he said, he didn't like hearing that, but it was true. They had two services. They were getting backed up. He said all the people coming for service, 
He said they hadn't let out the first service yet. All the ones coming had to park way, way away. All the new people, they were also rewarding the ones who were coming in late with the, with the closest parking spots because then the other service went out. And c- cramping the whole thing. They weren't giving time for people to react to the word of God that had just been planted in their life and their salvations went down. He said, I made the change. He said, I just made sure to police it more, seek the Holy Spirit more about that time in the service and I just... I flowed with him. We had more time for the salvations at the end. He said the salvations picked right back up. Started leading more people to the Lord. Why? He had to face reality. Two things that promote change in facing reality is a crisis or revelation. Two things that will help you face reality is crisis and revelation. Now, I don't know about you, but I've lived long enough to have a favorite in this, and my favorite is Revelation. But I need to understand that crisis helps me grow. In other words, so when I see a crisis, I'm not flipped out about it now. Why? Because what does a crisis reveal? It's kind of like we were talking about the other night. The Lord says, be anxious for nothing. Don't have anxiety, don't have fear. You should use the emotion of anxiety and fear to check you, to show you I've got an area to change, and if I can get it changed, my life will improve. In other words, so it's, it's there for us to recognize I'm missing it somewhere. Somewhere I'm not trusting God, and this is why I'm in this anxiety. And the same thing, if we come up to a crisis, we can say, Man, there's potential for me to change. Now there's potential for me to grow. Amen? All of a sudden, now we're looking at, uh, we can go into bad news and say, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't like hearing bad news all the time. But when I start to embrace change and I face the reality of that situation, I realize that every time we face a situation, we get better. Our leadership goes up. And so when our leadership, and it's not just me and not just my leadership, the whole team's leadership goes up. And so all of a sudden, you start looking at crises. crises. You start looking at crisis. Need to grow in some spelling and, and vocabulary leadership there. So you start looking at crisis, and you start looking at them positively because you're embracing the change. You know, is God going to be with you through that crisis? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know about you uh, pastors, but uh, I've gone through some, some crisis. I know last year presented some crisis. But when you start taking the attitude that this thing's not going to sink me, but it's going it's to help me rise to another level, all of a sudden you have just given God the ability to step into your life and do exactly that. And that's the way we've got to look. He says, but thanks be unto God who always leads us to triumph in Christ. And this is repeated throughout Scripture. It's all how you look at it. It's all how you either resist it, tolerate it, or embrace it. Knowing that God's leading you to better places. So, we have to face reality. When a crisis comes about, guess what it shows? It shows you areas need to change somewhere, somehow. Like I said, I like number two better. I'd rather have it by revelation. I'd rather get in the Word or, or, or watch Pastor Larry's crisis and learn from that, you know? That's how I'd rather learn. 
have revelation. But see, here's the thing about crisis. Does crisis not bring revelation? So either way, you're coming to the place where there's a revelation that we're missing it somewhere. There's a revelation that we need to grow. And then our job, if you'll go to the next one, our job is to take those issues and problems and turn them into opportunities. So in other words, we recognize who we are in Christ And when we face issues and problems, when he sends us into a wilderness, our job is to take life there. When we face crisis, our job is to take the issues and problems in that crisis, take the things we need to change, and let's turn them by faith into opportunities for growth. Growth without change is impossible. We have to face reality, and then when we face reality, we have crisis or revelation that will show us that change. We, that shows us the issues and problems. Issues and problems equals opportunities. This is something you want to remember over and over and over again. I'm telling you, when you start thinking this way, it changes your whole way of looking at things. I know as I, when I first heard this about two years ago, issues and problems equals opportunities, and it's just one way to say other things that we say, but this is, this is a formula for me. It sticks. Well, every time I started seeing issues and problems, I stopped looking at them as issues and problems, and I started looking at them as opportunities. Now, this was something the Lord was already teaching me, but man, this, this uh, put the nail in it. This was the final thing for me, and I got it. Well, guess what happened when I started viewing issues and problems as opportunities? Instead of being issues and problems, they started becoming opportunities in our life, in our church, in our leadership. We need to make sure that we know this. Issues and problems equals opportunities. Let's go to the next slide. We're going to talk about the process of leadership and closing the gap. You'll see on there, number one is mental assent. This is what we know. Number two is application. This is what we're actually doing. And number three is teaching. This is what we pass on. Now, here in between number one, mental assent, and number two, application, is I've heard some people say the biggest gap in the world. Because a lot of us know what to do or where we're supposed to go, but we're never hitting the second one of actually doing it. In other words, we know that we need more people in church. We know we need to be reaching more people, but we're never getting to the place where we actually do that, and then because we're not actually doing that, we never get to the place where we can pass it on and teach others how to do it as well. This is the biggest gap, and the process of leadership is to do this, close that gap. Our job as leaders is to help people and ourselves and our church and our organization close that gap. We've got to. So go on to the next slide you'll see that there's a system and a process of closing that gap. The first thing that we need to do as leaders is we need to recognize what we know and where we're going are two different things. What does that sound like? Growth without change is impossible. It means you've got to face reality. You've got to, you've got to see the crisis or see the revelation, and then you've got to move into the place where you see that issues 
and problems equal opportunities. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to recognize the truth. That means we've got to start looking at things with clear glasses, not rosy ones. Otherwise, we're not changing. We're not moving. We've got to move into this. So number one is we recognize. And then we need to prioritize the steps, the people, the resources, the, everything that we need to do. We need to set up a plan. We need to prioritize how are we going to do that. And then we need to mobilize. And so a lot of times what happens in, and you see churches that they'll grow and they'll grow and they'll grow, then they'll hit a, hit a, a stagnation point. You'll see businesses that'll grow. And what's happened is they know where they're supposed to go, but at some point they stopped recognizing it, they stopped looking at it clearly, or they stopped prioritizing and, and putting people into mobilizing to get to the new place. So the process of leadership is closing that gap, and we close that gap by recognizing, prioritizing, and mobilizing the resources that we need. Let's go to the next slide. So I want you to kind of watch and go through this. The first thing that we need to do in leadership is, if we're going to go down this list, the first thing that we need to do in leadership is we need to know something. We need to know where we need to get to, okay? We need mental ascent. We need, you know, he says, without vision, people perish. In other words, pastors, we need to hear from God and pass on the vision because other people, if we're leading people, they got to know the vision. If they don't know where we're going, they don't know what we're doing, then they don't have mental ascent. How are they going to help you? How are they going to help you move into application if they don't know the plan? So the first thing, we've got to see the goal. Then we've got to recognize, well, where are we missing it? Where are the areas where this is where we should be, but we're not there? And, and the, more, uh, the more I face reality, the more I'm honest with myself in those areas, the better and the quicker I'll move on towards closing the gap. And so we need to face reality. We need to take a look at crisis and revelations that the Lord will bring through whatever means. And then we need to recognize Recognize every area of change that's necessary. Then we need to prioritize the resources, and then we start to mobilize the team. At that time, the team takes over. They, they see the issues, they see the problems, and they see not just issues and problems, but they see opportunities. And they go into action and take the issues and problems into opportunities and then we have application. Now we're actually doing what God called us to do. And we're starting to teach what we did so that other people grow. Other people now can go into what God has planned for them. And then guess what? As we're growing, you don't know everything you need to know right now. And even the next level is not going to present everything that you need to know. So we start it again. We see what we need to we need to know. We go back to step one and we continue to constantly close the gap. And guess what happens? The more gaps that we close between mental ascent, between, between what we know and what we're actually doing, the more areas that we get more efficient and productive in, we can close those gaps quicker and quicker and quicker and just continue on the steady pace of growth and efficiency and productivity. This is, and here's the thing. Remember those first statements on the first couple of pages. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. 
Everything rises and falls on leadership. In other words, I need to get other people doing this besides myself. I can be doing this as the pastor, as the leader, as the CEO of an organization, but if other people are not doing, following the same process of leadership, it's not going to go very far. It's not going to be very productive. I need other people to start picking up the, the torch of leadership and saying, come on, let me, let me help others. I'll lead the way. I'll trailblaze that way as the CEO of, of the organization or the pastor of an organization. I'll trailblaze the way. That's my job. But I need other people. They'll say, okay, we will follow you and we will lead others as well. We will help close the gap between what we know to do and what we're actually doing. In, um, we need to always, in leadership, always be thinking about closing this gap. This is where leadership actually happens, is in between that gap. And we need to always be thinking, let's get to mobilization. Let's get to the place where people are mobilized, where they're doing these things. Okay, next slide. Now we're going to step into what's called the Proverbs process. And I love how it's the Proverbs process, and we go right to Isaiah. So, uh, Isaiah 11:2, but you'll see. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit, you notice it doesn't just say wisdom. It says the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord or the reverence of the Lord. Now, here's the thing. We need wisdom. We need understanding, and we need knowledge, but he's not just giving you these things, he's giving you the spirit of this. In other words, let me, let me just ask this question. Where is wisdom, understanding, and knowledge coming from? Who's empowering you in these things? God is. Without God's help and empowerment in these areas, you know, we can pick up all the physical, fleshly, worldly wisdom, understanding, and knowledge we want to, but it's really not going to empower us to go to the places that God wants us to go. We need wisdom, understanding, and knowledge from God. We need Him. So the next slide, you can see this Proverbs process. You can see there that we are empowered in wisdom, we are empowered in understanding, and we are empowered with knowledge. What's the fruit of gaining these things? Let's turn to Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. In this scripture, what I love about these two scriptures is you see the things that are applied and you see the fruit of them. I taught a whole series on this. Uh, it was awesome, called Built, Established, and Filled. And actually, everything you see in this building pretty much was a, uh, the fruit of this verse at the beginning of the year where the Lord said, in 2011, I want boomerang built, established, and filled and in November of 2011, we had moved into this building. We had nothing. <laughs> Not everything we had would fit under that table, that table right there. Everything we had that we owned would fit under that table. And we were in this big building. We were like, look at this big building. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, by the end of November, everything you see, there's furniture. We had so much stuff, it, we had to give it away. Where the Lord had spoken a word to us, we just simply took him at his word and followed his process and watched how he filled this place. And just, we just believed on him. And so the seats that you, the, you can be thankful for the seats were a part of that process. So here's the fruit of these things. 
that by wisdom a house is built. It's built. Do you want your organization built? We need it built. In order for us to achieve that destiny, we need God to be the builder of the house. And by understanding, it is established. This means that it is standing strong. This means when storms come, it's not just going to fall over. I can build some, you know, I might can build you a house like with actual, you know, wood and tools and stuff. I'm not sure that you'd want to walk in it, though, because it wouldn't be very established. It'd be built, but it wouldn't be established. Establishment is that God has set up uh, strength, and he's made those walls plumb. So that when it stands, it will stand the test of time. It will stand for eternity. So the fruit is being built and established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Doesn't that sound nice? And you know what? This is a reality in God if we'll simply learn to use the process that he's laid out in front of us. So the fruit in the next slide, the fruit there is built, established, and filled with riches. And then if we go back to the exact same verse, but let's look at it in the Living Bible, we're going to look at uh, exactly what are we supposed to do or how are we supposed to do this. In the Proverbs process, any enterprise is built by wise planning. In other words, leadership has to sit down and they recognize that we've got somewhere to go. We recognize the change that needs to happen. We've faced reality. Now let's come up with a plan. It becomes strong through common sense. In other words, I would say like wise counsel between people that know how to pull on the spirit of understanding and wisdom from God. Common sense. And it profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. In other words, it's facing reality. So, we see in that first one that we're empowered by God. The fruit is built, established, and filled. If this is fruit that's available to us, and the potential was given to us in Christ, is it okay for us to go and bury that potential? No. Our job as believers is to take the talents that he's given us and put them into action. So let me just ask you this. According to this verse, is this fruit available to us? This leadership fruit of taking a place, an organization, having it built strong in the power of God, established and filled. Yes, it's available. Then we need to go about the way that he told us how to do it. How he told us was a wise plan, common sense, and the facts. The process of leadership. You notice if we go to the next, uh, next slide there, you'll see that those things are there. Let's go to the next slide. Again, what are we doing? In the Proverbs process, we're basically following the process of leadership. We're going through, we're seeing the goal, we're facing reality, we're facing facts. If you'll look at the, you have your picture in front of you, if you'll look at that picture before, go from the bottom up in the how. You're facing facts. You're coming up with some common sense, coming up with a plan. And through that, we can have the fruit. Now let's move on to the next uh, slide there. You'll see that there is work that a leader has to do. You'll see in that slide right there that we're looking at, the work of a leader is closing the gap. Recognizing, prioritizing, and mobilizing. 
So let's look at the next slide. You'll see in that Proverbs process, look at it. <clears throat> Go from the bottom up. You see, just as, it, as you follow along that bottom row, you'll see knowledge filled with riches as a fruit. We need facts. In the leader's position, his job is to take that information and recognize that change needs to happen. Go to the next one. We have to prioritize. In other words, we take the understanding empowered by God, and we see that it brings establishment. We use common sense, and we prioritize what needs to happen. All right, then go to the next one. It's mobilize. We have empowered wisdom by God. We see the fruit that it's built. We do this by putting together a wise plan, and then we take that wise plan, and we mobilize what? What are we mobilizing? We're mobilizing the team. Now the team has something to do. Go back, go back to the next slide there, or go forward to the next slide, taking a look back at the one that we were at. Nope. Go back a couple. There we go. You'll see here, we've done this. Here was what we needed to do, come up with uh, facing the facts, coming up with common sense, and uh, coming up with a wise plan. The lead, leader now recognizes, prioritizes, and mobilizes, and now the team takes over. Here's the team's work. The teamwork is to take issues, the facts, to take the problems, and turn them into opportunities. If you go to the next slide, you'll see this from the bottom up, issues, problems, and opportunities. My job, listen, as a leader, when I'm leading a group, my job is not to actually go about making those things happen. That's the team's job. I may be a part of the team. But as a leader, I've got to lead it before I take part in it. And, the, and the, I probably don't need to take as much part in it. Just because I can do it doesn't mean I should do it if I'm leading. In other words, I may have another, my job may be to lead another team into mobilizing. That may be my most efficient. Okay? So let's look at the next slide now. The need for teams. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, and I want to read this, we absolutely need teams, and it's very biblical to have teams. Uh, you will find, I'm going to make this, uh, uh, make this statement, that teams are the fundamental building unit of any organization. We'll say that again in a second. Let's just read this in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and of Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Timon Parmenius, if I'd have seen all these names, I'd have skipped this <laughs> verse, and a proselyte from Antioch, and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. Listen to that. 
the word of God kept on spreading. Because they employed teams, the word of God kept on spreading. The number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Let me just point this out. In this verse, the biggest thing I want you to see is that the mandate from heaven, the mandate from God, is bigger than you. It's bigger than you. If it's not bigger than you, it isn't from God. And in order for us to handle the mandate that God's given us, we have to have teams. We need, in, in order to have successful teams, we need to lead, which means we need to learn how to lead well. All right? Let's look now at Exodus, the need for teams, Exodus 17, 8 through 13. It says, Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy then they took a stone and put it under, under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. It's a great story, one of my absolute favorites. But you know what Moses had? He had a, he had a leadership team that was there with him. And this is what I want you to see. The burden that you have, the mandate that God's given you, it is carried with help. It's not meant for you to carry it all by yourself. You can't do it, in other words, if God's given it to you. But here's the thing. Now, I want you to notice Moses' mistake at first was, at the beginning of the story, could Moses lift the staff? Yes. Now here's the question. Go back to our, our earlier... Uh, uh, let, me, let me go back and read this. Don't do it alone. Don't do it for them. Don't fix it for them. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Could Moses lift the staff? Yes, he could have. At the beginning. Why could he not do it at the end? Because he had done it alone at the beginning. Don't do it alone. Aaron and her were sitting there. They could have helped him from the very beginning. And Joshua never would have been beat back at all. But because he was doing it alone, he got tired. And the mandate started slipping. The mandate from God, the vision, it wasn't being accomplished. But then they wised up, they got a team around him, they got support. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And you've got to recognize that in leadership. In other words, let's say that I can lift you know, 200 pounds up here. Well, that's awesome. I can, I can lift 200 pounds. But if I get Pastor Larry and I get Pastor Mike to come up here, we can stand here for a lot long, longer period of time carrying that 200 pounds. Why? Because we just, we just took the load, we, we applied a team, 
And now we're able to carry it for a much longer period of time. Now it, and we're not worn out by it as well. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Back to this, it says the burden is carried or the mandate is carried with help, with teams. Now let's look at Exodus 18. Again, with Moses, you know, you, you would think he might have learned his lesson there about teamwork, uh, but he really hadn't. And uh, before you get too critical, just know that you're doing that some way right now too and you just don't know it. Uh, Exodus 18, 13 through 23 says, It came about the next day that Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. In other words, every day, all day, he was having to deal with the people. Not necessarily a bad thing. He's there for the people, right? Yep. Now, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone, why do you alone, why do you alone sit as judge and all people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Let, let me throw this out there. Just because they come to you doesn't mean you're the one that's supposed to help them. It's just as God to say no as it is yes sometimes. <clears throat> because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statute of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you're doing is not good. And you know what? This is not just his father-in-law talking to him. This is God talking to him. And you'll see why as we go along. The thing that you're not doing is good. You're doing this alone. Stop doing it alone. It's not good. Verse 18, You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Sound familiar? Don't do it alone. Now listen to me, I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes of God, then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk, and the work they are to do. Remember, mental ascent, then we recognize, prioritize, mobilize, we apply, and what was the last thing there in closing the gap we're trying to get to? That we can teach others. Teach them. Show them the statutes and law. Make known to them the way in which they are to walk and, and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place them over, over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds and fifties and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. And let me add this, the context of this is, let them lead the people. Let them, you lead them, let, you lead the team and the teams. Let them lead the people. In other words, let them become the ministers that God's created them to be. Let them become the servants that God's created them to be. Let them become the leaders that God's created them to be. 
And let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place of peace. I would remind you, remember when I said, all of a sudden when you open up leadership and you start uh, giving people responsibility, you're going to empower them. It's going to turn into some small messes. We know that. It's going to. But overall, you're not going to be doing everything and you'll be able to endure so that you don't fall completely apart and now there's a big, huge mess that hurts tons of lives. It's important. The thing out of this is success is gained through teams. Just because we can carry it alone doesn't mean that we should. The need for teams, teams are the fundamental building unit of any organization. They are the fundamental building unit of any organization. You know, I would have said, we said this early on, I had a, um, I had a pastor say that I thought if I'd just get up there and I would preach Christ and preach the Word and I was called to the place, I'd get in my place and preach the Word, I'd have success. And then he said, I've learned that I need to lead. You know why he needs to lead? Because God set it up as a successful way. And for us to step out of that and not be leading, we're just going to get up here and preach but not learn how to lead, we're actually going against God's ways that he called holy. And that's why it doesn't work. I know I've gone, I, I had, um, especially early on in our uh, growth, early on in our growth, we would just say, just get up there and preach the word and God will send the people. But he didn't. And you know why? Because we weren't leading. We were preaching the word. The word's not that much different than what we were preaching then. But we weren't leading people. And we weren't operating in God's ways. And because we were out of line, out of order, out of his order, how can he bless that fully? In other words, if we want to get into the place of God, we need to get into his ways, see his ways. Can you see now in scripture itself that it is God for you to lead? It's God. That's not just an American principle. It's God for you to lead and grow and have teams. That helped me more than anything else that I just saw. Man, it's biblical to do this. It's biblical to grow in leadership. I want you to. I want to show you this before we, uh, before we sit down on the next thing. I want you to see this picture of Moses and Aaron and her, and you see here they are, and they're helping. You have this executive leadership team. We call it an ELT. This is this is the team that basically should run an organization. You have you have some people that can sit. They can plan out. And we'll go to the next slide and you'll see what you see. You have a, actually a picture here from God showing you one of the processes of leadership that we're talking about. A leadership team with Moses, Aaron, and her. The executive leadership team is simply taken from that same example as you go to the next slide. And you'll see that an ELT consists of a leader at the head of the table basically there leading. And then you have other leaders on that leadership team. We've found in, in history that that optimal number is to have uh, no more than five. Five is a good range. You could have six. You could have four. If you had an organization 
if you had an organization that was you know, maybe only 10 people, you may have an ELT that's three. I told you from the beginning, everything that we're talking about, you need to take it and, and you customize it to you. Uh, seek the Lord on it. It may be a little different. Everybody will employ it a little bit differently because there's things that are not exacts that are laid out. But in this ELT, you want to have some people that can sit around, that can talk to you, you can plan, you can prioritize, recognize, prioritize, and mobilize at this team. And what's the example that we took this from? Straight out of the Word. Straight out of the Word. So we're going to get more into this in a few minutes. I want to take about a 10-minute break. Let's say uh, we'll come back at 10.35. All right? So let's take a 10-minute break, and we'll see you then.